0: Looking back on the week that was with a razor wit, irreverent humor and profound political and cultural insights, this is the James McPherson show. Welcome to the James McPherson Show, episode 17. Can you believe it? Great to have your company. Today, we're talking AFL and NRL grand finals, as well as more on the Wallabies, the Greens, and we're going to talk about government restrictions against churches and how lifting of those restrictions caused Greens' heads to explode. All that ahead on the James McPherson Show. Thanks for your company. A politician vying for Queensland's top job has promised to make people even less free if they vote for her at the state's upcoming election. Queensland LNP leader Deb Frecklington said her party would impose a 6pm curfew for North Queenslanders and ensure everyone was in bed by 9pm with lights out by 9.15 if elected. The policy was part of a range of new police state initiatives unveiled by the LNP to capitalise on the public's appetite for tough restrictions imposed for no good reason by dictatorial state premiers. Queensland Premier Anastasia Pelagé is leading in the polls as voters look to reward her for implementing harsh rules in the fight against coronavirus. Meanwhile, in Victoria, Premier Daniel Andrews has enjoyed strong support for a draconian lockdown, and West Australian Premier Mark McGowan is likely to be re-elected after cutting voters off from the rest of the world for their own good. Ms Frecklington, not wanting to be outdone, said she hoped to convince voters that the Queensland LNP could make people even less free. So people in Townsville and Cairns would be subject to curfews and strict bedtimes with fines of $250 issued to people who were out of bed without a reasonable cause. Under the plan, police would be given powers to go from house to house, checking if people were in bed. This is about making sure people are safely in bed and it's based on science, Ms Frecklington told reporters as she anxiously scanned the media pack to see if Peter Credlin was present. If you're out of bed, then you'll be marched straight back into bed so the community is kept safe, she said. She said the strict 9.15pm lights out policy would help to reduce carbon emissions whilst at the same time demonstrating that the LNP was as adept as Labour at making pointless rules that violated people's civil liberties. She said lights out might be put back to 10pm during holidays if people obey the rules. We will be guided by advice from the Queensland Chief Satist Officer, who is the expert when it comes to keeping people safely locked up, she said. Ms. Frecklington said the curfew was similar to one put in place in Victoria earlier this year, but contained added measures to ensure people were not only indoors, but in bed and with the lights turned out. We want to do more than keep people safe. We want to tuck them in, she said. This is a nanny state where we literally are the nanny. Our private polling says it's a surefire winner with the public. Greens leader Adam Bandt, forgetting that the ACT is 2,300 square kilometres surrounded by reality, believes the party's result in the territory's election is a pointer to success across the rest of the country. The Greens won six seats the other weekend and look set to form a coalition government with Labour. But the ACT result means nothing in terms of the rest of the country because, like the Greens, the ACT is so unlike the rest of the country. The Greens getting votes in the ACT is like the Pope getting votes at Sunday Mass in the Vatican. Of course public servants vote for a party that promises to expand the public service. If Bant thinks the ACT, where woke bureaucrats with big salaries and secure jobs comprise a significant part of the population, offers any basis for comparison with the rest of Australia, then he's even more delusional than his policies suggest. And that he believes he can achieve similar results around the country is evidence he's been smoking those crops the Greens are so desperate to legalise just a little too much. Mr Bant, clearly suffering delusions of grandeur, said at the weekend he now thinks the Greens can win three seats at the Queensland election and possibly hold the balance of power. The last time the Greens ventured to Queensland, their founder, Bob Brown, and his convoy of anti-coal zealots failed to find a Fruit Loop fraternity eager to vote for watermelons. They were instead chased away by working families who wanted to keep their jobs and who were sensible enough to realize the Greens environmental platform was just a sh- sideshow in their main agenda of cultural revolution. Someone might like to inform Adam Bant that if he's looking north to Queensland for support, he should look even further north to the country's, the, the party's natural home in communist China. But when you're away with the pixies and living in an eco-friendly LGBTQ plus life free of all earthly concerns, reality has no bearing on anything. It's a state of mind that allowed the Greens leader to blame last summer's bushfires on Prime Minister Scott Morrison because he failed to get the climate emergency under control. And it's a state of mind that prompted Mr. Bant to tell media at the weekend, my aim is to turf out the liberals and win the balance of power, either solely or with other independents who care about climate action. The Greens' leader dreams of recreating a 2010-style hung parliament. What a splendid idea, considering how well that worked out for the country. When a government that can't govern is your big idea for the future of the nation, it's a wonder the Greens get even the 10% of votes that they've been stuck on for the past decade. Nothing makes leftist heads explode, like Christian leaders who venture an opinion outside the four walls of the church So when Hillsong pastor Brian Houston dared to question government restrictions on church services, New South Wales Greens MP David Shoebridge was immediately triggered. Quote, Brian Houston from Hillsong is once again trying to pressure the Liberal Party to deliver for his church, this time by easing coronavirus restrictions to allow hundreds to repeatedly mingle together in his churches. Let's hope science trumps faith. End quote. That's what the self-described social justice activist tweeted. This is the same Greens MP who ignored health advice and marched through the streets of Sydney with 20,000 Black Lives Matter protesters in June. This is the same Greens MP who ignored health advice and visited a remote Indigenous community just two days after the BLM march, much to the dismay of Indigenous leaders who claimed he was putting lives in danger. And this is the same Greens MP who said not a word when, in July, the Auburn Gallipoli Mosque in Sydney's west was given permission to host 400 worshippers. But, you know, when the leader of Australia's largest Christian church suggested health restrictions might be eased for churches, the Greens MP was suddenly more concerned about public health than Florence Nightingale. Let's hope science trumps faith, he tweeted to the delight of his followers who loved that he'd created a false dichotomy between science and faith whilst managing to get Trump in there as an added bonus. But Shoebridge didn't explain the science that says it's safe from December 1 for 300 guests to attend a wedding, but not a church service. Shoebridge didn't explain the science that says it's safe for Hillsong's 4,000-seat auditorium to have 100 people, but not 200 or 500 or 1,500 Nor did he explain the science behind rules in New South Wales that allow entertainment venues, including theatres and concert halls, to have a capacity of 50%, while churches must have no more than 100 people, no matter the size of the building. Shoebridge didn't explain the science because he couldn't. There is no science behind these arbitrary rules. At best, Christian churches have been forgotten by politicians seeking to ease COVID-19 restrictions. And at worst, Christian churches are being discriminated against. And Shoebridge's assertion that churches wanting to open were acting unreasonably because, you know, faith was nothing but a cheap caricature of the Christian community. Pastor Houston said on Monday last week, Churches can be trusted to abide by the rules, as we have done every step of the way, we are all committed to keeping people safe, but it seems churches are not being considered for steadily relaxing restrictions, end quote. Unlike the BLM protesters that Shoebridge supported, Houston said he was committed to obeying the law. And unlike the Auburn Gallipoli Mosque that Shoebridge supported, Hillsong was not asking for any special exemption from restrictions. Brian Houston was simply asking to be held to the same standard as other venues that host gatherings. This wasn't about faith so much as fairness. You know fairness. Fairness that the Greens love to go on and on about, unless it's got to do with the church, of course. Anglican Archbishop of Sydney, Glenn Davies, said last week he discussed inconsistencies in COVID-19 rules with the New South Wales Health Minister and expected revised guidelines for churches to be quickly released, as indeed they were. But Shoebridge complained... Brian Houston from Hillsong is once again trying to pressure the Liberal Party to deliver for his church, as if a citizen asking his elected representative for help was somehow sinister. Perhaps Shoebridge considers Christians to be second-class citizens. Or maybe Shoebridge has just miffed that a bunch of happy clappers in Sydney's West attract twice as many people every Sunday as the Greens have members nationally. I am the God of hellfire and I bring you Bloomberg Magazine tweeted at the weekend, What's the most significant action your company could take to increase diversity awareness during Global Diversity Month? Well, my answer would be you could ignore the fact I have no vertical leap and miss more shots than I make and give me an NBA contract anyway based on the color of my skin. tell you if i hear one more person say new normal we've got to get used to the new normal i'm going to lose it every time someone says new normal i get shivers there's nothing normal about a dystopian world in which the state exerts control over the most basic aspects of human life and sadly there's nothing new about it either we've seen it in totalitarian regimes before Fire. tweet was typical of people expressing surprise at the beheading of a French teacher for showing cartoons of Muhammad. Uh, a typical tweet went like this. I still can't believe that a French junior high school teacher was beheaded. His head was separated clean from his shoulders in the street because he'd shown caricatures of Muhammad during a lecture on freedom of speech. This is insane. I'm shocked that people can't believe it. It's been happening for years, and to tell you the truth, I'm all Islamed out. These days, I just sigh and wait for someone to drag a piano onto the street for an impromptu rendition of Imagine before we all agree religion of peace and move on again. Till it happens next time, of course. But even worse than people saying they were surprised or shocked at the beheading was entertainer Nicole Arbour, who said, how about we all just not draw Muhammad then, okay? Seems pretty simple. Wow, and this is just me thinking out loud. We could just not behead people. Nah, you're right. That's probably too simple an idea for progressives to understand. It was difficult to sit through the AFL Grand Final knowing all the television commentators were white. I'd been so looking forward to the historic first night Grand Final and, were it not for the lack of diversity in the commentary box, I would have enjoyed the game. The atmosphere was electric and the the game was thrilling, but not a single Channel 7 commentator was black, not even one. Can you believe it? Now, to my great shame, the issue of skin colour in the commentary box had not even crossed my mind until just before the opening bounce when ABC presenter Patricia Cavalez tweeted, and I quote, as the AFL Grand Final approaches, it's worth reflecting on the lack of diversity in the ranks of those commentating on the sport, a sport that boasts so many successful Indigenous players. End quote. Well, as the AFL Grand Final approached, I had been reflecting on whether Geelong champion Gary Ablett would win a premiership in his last game, or whether Richmond star Dustin Martin would win a third Norm Smith medal for best on ground in a Grand Final but suddenly the important issue of racial diversity amongst the commentary team was all I could think about. The white but woke Cavales continued, and I quote, proud that the ABC Australia has hired Tony Armstrong, but the rest of the media needs to do better. Hashtag indigenous, end quote. Indeed, the sheltered workshop, which is the ABC, has token people. Why not commercial media? Now, I don't mean that as any offence to Tony Armstrong, who was mentioned in Cavella's tweet. Armstrong is a former Collingwood footballer whom the ABC poached from Triple M Radio in Melbourne, where he was calling football for the rest of the media that needs to do better. But wouldn't it be better to be proud of Armstrong for being a great commentator than for being an ABC diversity hire? Replying to Cavella's tweet, former Australian netball coach Lisa Alexander added, also perhaps more women as well. Well, why not? I think we can all agree the grand final would have been much better had it been called by a black man or a woman or a black woman or a black trans woman. You get the idea. Instead, we were stuck with the supremacy of white men whose only qualifications to call the biggest game of the year were decades in sports broadcasting and or stellar football careers that gave them expert insights into the game. Way to ruin the AFL grand final, Channel 7. That Abby Holmes was part of the commentary team is no credit to the commercial broadcaster. The former AFLW player was used to give expert commentary from the boundary in the rain, presumably because the patriarchy didn't want her indoors with them. Hopefully next year's grand final commentary team will better reflect the diversity in the general community and if the approved melanin and genitals happen to correspond with commentary ability and football knowledge, even better. But the next AFL grand final is years away, or rather a year away. So in the meantime, perhaps we could reflect on the lack of diversity in the ranks of those commentating politics on the ABC. I wonder what percentage of ABC broadcasters and regular panel guests would be conservative. Victorian strongman Daniel Andrews has appointed rugby league commentator Phil Gould as his new communications manager. The Victoria Premier moved quickly to sign up the Channel 9 football analyst after his incredible performance, calling the weekend's NRL grand final. Gould confounded rugby league fans with his hopelessly biased commentary of the game, during which he insisted Penrith was on top despite trailing Melbourne 16 points to zero. It's believed the Victoria Premier hopes Gould will bring the same one-eyed optimism to his new role hosting the government's daily coronavirus briefings. Gould, fresh from heaping praise on the grand final loser, said he was looking forward to doing the same for Daniel Andrews. I honestly feel Daniel Andrews is on top, he said. In the run of things, I feel like Daniel Andrews is doing better than the virus, but the virus has been able to keep infecting and killing people. More than 800 people have died, but all the momentum is with Daniel Andrews. Gould was unfazed by reports that Victoria's harsh lockdown was costing taxpayers $200 million a day in direct economic support. So the lockdown is not as bad as what it obviously feels, Gould said. The scoreboard is just not friendly. Gould later tweeted, "'Extraordinary first half in Victoria. Hotel quarantine outbreak. Disallowed 12-month extension of emergency powers. Peter Credlin intercept. Young Andrews couldn't take a trick.'" Well, social media erupted in anger with many Melburnians questioning Gould's impartiality. But Daniel Andrews defended his new communications manager. Gus is right, Andrews said. If it wasn't for that hotel quarantine stuff up and a couple of other stuff ups at the meatworks and with contact tracing and the odd episode of police brutality, and if the virus hadn't spread the way it did, I would be in front Gould, who coached Penrith to their first premiership in 1991 and was Penrith's head of football until last year, said he was honoured to work for the Victoria Premier but wished his former club had hired Andrews to coach them in the weekend's grand final. If we really wanted to shut Melbourne down, we should have got Daniel Andrews, he said. NBC tweeted, Fact check. No evidence exists to support the claim that the stock market will crash if Joe Biden wins. Think about it. That's amazing. The NBC have fact checked a prediction concerning what will happen in the future. Amazing. Bio. I was intrigued during the week by the photograph I saw of a shopfront in Seattle. The shopfront window had two signs in it. The first was a big Black Lives Matter sign, and the second was a sign that said, This store is a minority-owned, women-led, LGBTQIA+ staffed local business. Those are called Don't Hurt Me signs. But what if the business was unfortunate enough to have been staffed by, you know, heterosexuals or to be owned by someone not from a minority? What protection do they get then? We're all in this together. How many times have you heard that phrase regarding All of us, you know, battling coronavirus, not just in Australia, but around the world. We all stand in solidarity because we're all confronting this pandemic. Well, the latest World Bank forecasts expect China's economy to grow by 2% over the next 12 months, while America's falls by 5%, the Eurozone by 8% and Britain by 10%. We're all in this together. Sure we are. (laughs) Speaking of coronavirus, just something to keep in mind. You know, it was in February that Bill Gates warned of 10 million COVID-19 deaths in Africa. 10 million. By April, the UN had dialed that down to between 300,000 and 3.3 million deaths in Africa. Well, on October 15, the actual number was 38,977. Suicide statistics for Australia in 2019 were as follows. 2,502 male suicides, 816 female suicides. Now, one suicide is too many, but can you imagine the outcry if women were killing themselves at three times the rate of men? Having gotten rid of their star black player... The Australian rugby team was flirting with taking a knee at the start of their next game in support of Black Lives Matter. The Australian Rugby Union chased Israel Folau out of the sport and eventually out of the country for his supposedly outdated minority views. Now, with Folau out of the way, the woke Wallabies plan to signal their support for minorities. Confused? That's because you're thinking. To enjoy performative virtue, you must be woke enough to feel, but never conscious enough to think. Senior Wallaby Dane Haylett-Petty revealed last week that the team would consider taking a knee during the national anthem before the third Betterslow Cup test against the All Blacks on October 31. We've got a very diverse group, and we want to, see, and we see that as a big strength of ours, he said. Not strength enough to tolerate diverse views, though, or Falau would still be playing for Australia rather than running around for the Dragons in France. But again, you're overthinking things, and that's no way to enjoy politically correct sport. Rugby Australia chairman Hamish McLennan said the Wallabies would be wearing their new indigenous design jersey for the October 31 game. We're very proud of our Aboriginal and Indigenous heritage, and we're going to promote it proudly, the proud chairman said with pride. Except that no player of Indigenous heritage has been picked in the squad. He said, I think it shows we've got to open more player pathways for Indigenous rugby players, but what it also says is that we're very committed to an inclusive culture. Right, so there are no Indigenous players included in the squad, but the non-Indigenous players will wear jumpers featuring Indigenous squiggles to prove rugby has an inclusive culture. It makes complete sense, provided you don't think about it. The Wallabies also made a big deal last week about the fact that new coach Dave Rennie has been encouraging players to embrace different cultures, even teaching them to sing Fijian and Tongan songs. If this news makes you wonder how much better the Wallabies would be at singing Tongan ditties had they not punted their star Tongan player for expressing views commonly held in Tonga, stop it. You can't square a circle any more than the Wallabies can beat New Zealand. And there's no point wondering why, if our footballers are going to sing, they don't instead learn the words to the national anthem so they can actually sing it rather than pretend to sing it before games. Of course, the winless but very woke Wallabies could ditch all the virtue signalling and focus on winning rugby games, but that thought doesn't seem to have occurred to them for a long time now. The James McPherson Show is a production of The Good Source, written and presented by James McPherson. To watch, listen to, or read more media without the SJW narratives or PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news. That's good, S-A-U-C-E, enews Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.